It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Here we go with Malia Jacobson as your host. Welcome to Sleep Well, Stay Well. I'm your host, sleep and health journalist, Malia Jacobson. I hope that you're doing well on this early week in November. It is a tense week for many of us. It is election week and many of us are feeling the stress. I recorded most of this episode on election day and it actually provided a pretty nice distraction um, that I was grateful for. So I hope that you are all doing well and doing what you can to cope with the stress if you're feeling it. My last couple of episodes in October have focused on exhaustion and anxiety, and while those are extremely important topics to address right now, I'm happy to be moving into somewhat um, more joyful territory and to the world of new parenthood. Um, not that there is not a good share of exhaustion and anxiety that that comes with new parenthood, um, but it is something that is also pretty fun to talk about. Um, and with me today is a guest who I am just so so thrilled to be speaking with again. I have interviewed her several times. She is a very well-known locally, um, just a wonderful resource for um, women of color, immigrants, underserved communities, um, as well as just new parents um, from every walk of life. She's uh, truly just a wealth of information. And I'm so glad to be able to speak with her today and to share this with you. Uh, Rue Kosa is also known as the Boob Boss. She's an, the owner and founder of The Perfect Push, a lactation and parenting wellness clinic in downtown Redmond near Seattle. She's a board-certified family nurse practitioner, lactation consultant, and childbirth educator. In February 2020, she was invited to join the Washington State Hospital Association's Safe Delivery Roadmap commission. She sits on their birth equity task force working on program development. She also sits on the board of No More Under, a 501c3 organization committing to drown, committed to drowning prevention and awareness. She was born and raised in Zimbabwe and has been an advocate for immigrants, women of color, and underserved communities here in the U.S. and abroad. In August 2019, to address health care disparities affecting women of color and immigrants, Rue founded the Perfect Push Foundation. The Perfect Push Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit focused on empowering the underserved and at risk to address maternal and fetal mortality in communities in the U.S. and around the world. And she is a wife and mother to two boys, seven and three. And it, during this episode, you will hear that both Rue and I are working mothers actively involved in schooling our children during this pandemic. And so you'll hear that during this episode, um, kind of a, a peek behind the curtain, if you will. Um, there's just a lot going on for parents, for working mothers, for um, all the people who are trying to kind of do everything right now at the same time. In, in the same space. So um, you'll hear some some interruptions during this episode, and I think that that's okay. That's just kind of where we are right now. Um, and I should also add that November is Child Safety um, and Protection Month, and that is one of the reasons uh, Rue and I are chatting about safe sleep today for infants and for nursing infants in particular. Um, so without any further delays, let's get Rue on the call. 
Good morning, Rue. Thank you so much for joining me on this rainy, rainy, gloomy election day Tuesday. How are you doing? Just but good. Um, happy for the distraction. <laughs> Great way to pass another hour in this what seems to be a very, very long day already and it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. I know. Yes, very, very long day. And we've had such spectacular fall weather here that it it almost hasn't seemed real the past few days. Just crisp days, beautiful, brilliant skies, gorgeous leaves everywhere. And then today just dawned gray and I know. gloomy as can be, <laughs> rainy. And so just kind of hunkering down and trying to get through the day, avoiding the news. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so hard to do, though, with social media. It's, it's hard to stay away. Um, there's really always is, something. Yeah. There's always something that's going to give you news, whether you want it or not. Um, but yeah, I hear you. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm good. I'm just trying to, you know, manage the, the stress of the this season. My last couple of episodes have been focused on managing anxiety and managing stress and kind of settling in for this long winter season that we're heading into and kind of you know, kind of um, heavy topics, I guess, um, but just suited to the season that we're kind of in. So um, even though we're talking today about safety and some kind of serious safety stuff, um, it's always fun to chat a little bit more on the parenting and baby side. So I wanted to talk about your work and how things are going in the world of lactation consulting. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you've shifted your work in the past six months or so and how you're working with parents now, especially for folks that might not know that lactation consulting is um, absolutely still an option. Um, and there's even maybe some new ways to connect with, with experts. Yeah, I think the last six months have been, they've been difficult for everybody, um, especially our new and expecting parents. Right. Um, we over time as more and more families have wanted to and pursued breastfeeding um, and more information has come out about the benefits of breastfeeding and everybody is starting to embrace it and really starting to normalize it as a society you see many more parents you know committing to wanting to breastfeed committing to wanting to have a successful breastfeeding relationship but the one thing that we've always known is even though we say it is the most natural thing out there it is hard for most people to do. Um, right, and they're just the natural and the normal challenges that come with, you know, learning to do something new and learning to do it with somebody else who's also brand new. And they're trying to figure out the world, figure out, you know, here it's single. And with COVID and with all, all the anxiety around it, I think it's just put a lot of, you know, new moms in this really, um, stress and this place is and about you know if I need help where do I go to help is it great safe um, there's already so much limited um, and so many changes that have happened within the healthcare system when it comes to maternity care I'm sorry can I put you on hold for one oh sure I am so so sorry
Sorry about that. Um, his teacher's internet just went down, so he's freaking out. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. Yep. So we are back now. Um, some of the joys of remote learning, and I'm dealing with the exact same thing. In fact, while we were paused, our um, digital assistant reminder, our voice activated assistant, and I try not to say the name during recording because then it activates it. <laughs> um, it it issued the reminder that my son's meeting was about to start. And I thought that I had paused those recordings or those announcements during my recording, but apparently I wasn't successful. So some of my podcasts have those in the background and that's just <laughs> real life right now. I know that is, that is our life right now. We're all adjusting to it. And so I'm interested, I'm curious if there's kind of a, maybe a sense of pressure that new and expectant parents feel around breastfeeding. I think, you know, I breastfed three kids, those days are behind me now, but if I were in that space, I would feel like, okay, I really need to make breastfeeding work because I don't wanna be running to the store constantly for formula, especially right now, breastfeeding is a way to be more self-sufficient. Um, there's immune boosting benefits, you know, it seems like it's particularly well-suited for this stage that we're in where people are trying to stay home more and reduce their interactions and trips to the store. So I feel like I would feel even more pressure to make breastfeeding work, which would probably be counterproductive, at least for me. Is that something that you're seeing or hearing from people? Um, definitely. I think the pressure is on. Um, we did recently, I want to say in the last few months, hear about the benefits of um, breast milk, especially when it comes to, you know, the antibodies that were found um, against COVID and breast milk. So, you know, everybody is really determined. And again, we also have a lot of time. We have a lot more moms who have a lot more time and having a lot more, you know, bonding time with their babies. And it's like, if I'm not going to be going to work, if I'm going to be working from home and my baby's right there, I might as well, you know, um, continue at least, you know, pursue breastfeeding more aggressively because what else am I going to be doing? So I think there's also that added pressure. But one of the things that we do know is with the more stress and the more pressure that people put on themselves, the more likely that breastfeeding is going to be more of a challenge because your body is like, what is going on out there? What bear am I fighting? Um, breast milk is optional because I don't need breast milk. Your body doesn't need breast milk, it's for your baby. So anything that is going to stress moms out, anything that is going to stress mom's problem, which is why moms that have difficult deliveries or have complex medical conditions tend to end up having a low supply just because of all the stresses on their bodies. So it's so important for, you know, for us to have that additional support and for um, parents to continue to have the additional support um, to relieve some of those stresses and to help them learn how to navigate them better. So the kind of fight or flight the scenario where people are just constantly stressed out that can actually impact milk supply. Is, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay, yeah, well that, and that would definitely make it, make it a challenge. So how are you actually working with people now? Are you doing lactation consulting via um, remote um, telehealth or, or how, how, what does your work look like right now? So we are still doing lactation consults in person. Um, one of the things that I did, I tried in the beginning, I was like, you know, we can do this um, um, virtually. And it was very clear to me um, early on that. that lactation is very, it is um, very, very hands-on. Oh, right. So you're not going to be able to um, 
Well, I mean, in some ways, it's much, it's a lot like teaching. Um, and you're it just is. not going to be able to get to the heart of what the issue is and really yeah. help someone um, in, a rem in a remote setting. Correct. Um, I am so sorry to have to do this, but can I hold for a second? Sure. Let's take a quick break. Thanks. Okay. And we are back again. So we were talking about um, virtual lactation consulting and the challenges of working with someone and trying to troubleshoot uh, via a screen. Yeah, it's just really, really hard. And it's I found it close to impossible because there's so much involved in actually doing a lactation consult in terms of being able to assess um, you know, mom's anatomy. I like to call it the equipment with which we're going to feed this baby. And then also being able to um, assess baby's mouth to see is there anything going on there, are there any restrictions that could be impacting breastfeeding. And then seeing how the two come together. Uh, and we've had partners, you know, trying to move the phone in the right area. And um, I quickly learned that, you know, this is just not going to work. So we had to pivot and try and figure out how can we still continue to bring families into our clinic, but make it as safe as possible. Um, and we normally would do families in the clinic at any given time on a rolling basis, and we had to stop that. Um, we made our appointments longer, so now they're an hour and a half, and that allows us to really just have one family in the clinic at, um, for each appointment, and then it gives us enough time to turn the clinic over and clean everything before we bring in the next family because we are taking care of our most you know, high-risk patients, babies with no immunity and moms who've just delivered. So it's super important and it's one of those things that um, I would say has been weighing heavy on me because I never wanted to get that call that says we had exposure or something happened and how do I call all these new families that are trusting in us right and say I am so sorry um, this is what's happened and this is where we need to go and we may have you know exposed your child so we've been trying very very hard to make sure that we're at all times and we do know there's some things that are just out of our control but trying to control in every way possible and reassure our families that you know are taking all the necessary steps and precautions to keep them safe. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for, for explaining that. Yeah, that is important. And so um, shifting the topic a little bit to sleep, um, wanted to talk with you about safe sleep for babies, particularly those who are breastfeeding. A lot of people have the belief that breastfeeding parents don't get any sleep. The only way to get sleep during new parenthood is to bottle feed. Is that true? And is that something that you talk about with the families that you work with? Well, it is, it's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a big fan of Thrive Parenting. I feel that is what I teach and that is what I preach. And as a society, we have become very comfortable with telling new parents that if they're not tired, if their hair is not falling out, if they don't know what day of the week it is, um, you know, they're then doing it right. <laughs> they do it. Yeah, that's that that's that is that is what new parenting that's is like. Been, that is been normalized. Norm. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And we've embraced it, and to the point and to the detriment 
of breastfeeding as well as and successful breastfeeding for me isn't just that mom is breastfeeding and baby is drinking milk that is not it is it is are they thriving through that relationship right Right. absolutely and I am team mom all the way and I say this to my moms all the time and I'm like listen at the end of the day I know if we take good care of you you'll take care of our babies so what does that look like and trying to make sure that we shore up support around new families which COVID has completely tanked it has made it super impossible for people to have, you know, family members come and visit and stay with them, to have extra help and have extra visitors within the house that would come and help and support the family. So we've had to, you know, encourage families to be very strategic. I know we just talked about, you know, like lactation and how to continue to support it during a COVID pandemic. One of the biggest things that I talk about is prenatal lactation, making sure that we're seeing these moms before they have the baby so that they are prepared when baby comes for what is that relationship going to look like and how do I maximize sleep? Right. Yeah, so we absolutely. Know, yeah. And well-fed babies will sleep well. When breastfeeding right. and, is But going also well. I think yeah. well-rested mothers have an easier time probably they do. producing milk. And they do. I think that that's sort of something that maybe isn't talked about enough because of course we don't want to put more pressure on new moms, but the, Thing that you just talked about the you know image of the zombie mom who's just like live you know coffee drip like IV <laughs> you know I know and, and just um you know not showering for for what whatever and just never ever sleeping it's not sustainable but then it also just throws your entire you know your body's whole system into just a, a havoc you know and then you're asking it to do this incredible thing produce enough milk to sustain another living being. Um, It's just, um, my experience was, I mean, just in pumping and breastfeeding, I could always notice a difference in my supply when I was able to get more sleep. Um, And it's so important to get our moms, to get, you know, sleep. And again, if we can get them ready to breastfeed and get them ready to troubleshoot easily, and get partners involved in helping so that everybody's tag teaming um, so that mom can get a little bit more sleep. And I'm probably one of the one very few IBCLCs um, who advocates for early bottle introduction when mom is pulling their hair out. Um, we've got this, and it makes sense because one of the things we don't want babies to do is get um, nipple confusion or breast refusal when we start to introduce an artificial nipple like a bottle too early. So one of the things we say is avoid bottles for four to six weeks, just strictly breastfeeding. But to what end? So I will always say to all, listen, if you've gotten to your break point where it's no longer safe mentally and or physically for you or, or um, that baby for you to be up breastfeeding, we're going to give a baby a bottle. And it's going to be okay. It's not all right, but it's going to be okay. And I think that is the message that we need to preach more and more. And we're trying to teach um, families how to um, time manage, realistically so, as opposed to saying, oh yeah, you just, the babies don't sleep and that's normal. Okay, so how do we talk about sleep when the baby sleeps, which always sounds great when you say it until the baby gets here and it's like reality strikes and it's like, okay, how do you sleep when the baby sleeps, especially during COVID when you don't have anybody else helping you? What do we say to that single mom who's the only person that is in that house? When is she going to sleep? Or the mom who's got more than one child. So you can sleep when the baby sleeps, but who's watching the toddler? 
Right, absolutely. And sleeping in 45 minute chunks or one hour chunks usually just doesn't cut it <laughs> after a no while. it doesn't you still so wake up feeling delirious like, <laughs> yeah yeah they don't sleep like adults so that never worked for me I'm not a great napper so that that advice just it wasn't helpful and I, I'm not sure what I'm interested in your take on this but I think that getting just that that stretch of maybe three to four hours at night if you can mm -hmm. um, is what the body needs to kind of reset um, and, and then you can fill in some of the blanks with, with napping and, and shorter um, periods of sleep, but there does need to be a longer stretch of sleep at some point for the body to go through its sleep cycles and, and for um, some of those processes to occur that, that have to happen um, in order to, to really make breast milk. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I think. I mean, there does have, you can't just sleep when the baby sleeps. You need a longer stretch somewhere in there, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for most people, where you're just getting those little cat naps in and not really getting your body rested and refreshed. And that's when we see postpartum depression increasing, postpartum anxiety increasing, which again goes on to impact your sleep. So the question is, what do we do? And if you're constantly seeing information about, oh, you never give your baby a bottle and oh, you're never gonna, you know, don't start formula. We're never gonna start formula. You're not gonna do this and you're not gonna do this. But we don't take into account reality. What does reality look like? And there's some people who cannot function without sleep. But for whatever reason, these are the things that we don't necessarily always navigate or talk to parents about in the beginning and say, okay, so how, do, how does it work with you when you don't, what is life gonna look like when baby gets here? And it always brings me back to prenatal lactation because these are the things that we talk about. And so if I know my mom's like, listen, I become Godzilla when I don't sleep, I'm gonna have you pumping and pumping early because I know at some point in time, we're gonna have to trade off and we're going to replace a feeding with a bottle and we're gonna let you sleep and get that four hour stretch. Right. Gonna and it, get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, um, it's not selfish. It's just, I try and, and sort of think about it as it's just a biological need. Like you wouldn't think of a mother as selfish for eating um, three meals a day um, or, oh yeah. Drinking no, no, water no, no. Or using, I think it's actually selfless. I think right. because it's just sleep every part of you, yeah, right. every part of you wants to be there for your child. It's almost like going against your natural instincts is um, saying, okay, but in order for me to be there, and I think that that's the conversation we need to change. And I say this over and over again, sometimes the best thing you can do for your baby is put your needs first. Because right, ultimately, they're, they're relying when all, on you. <laughs> yes, when all else fails, break down, for lack of a better baby really is screwed now, right? So we need to always protect mom. We need to always make sure that mom is doing healthy and mom is thriving. And if we do that, she's got baby. She will do everything she can. We're all mama bears. I think as soon as that last push and that baby comes out, that mama bear new is born. You don't know how not to be protective and how not to care for that baby to your own detriment. That's why we end up with moms in postpartum depression and anxiety and you know um, insomnia because we're so stressed out about taking care of these babies and society keeps reinforcing that unless we are feeling that stressed out and that broken, then there's something wrong with us, which just further builds into the cycle. And I am just determined to break it. I'm like, no, we do need to take care of you. You do need to prioritize sleep. 
You need to prioritize rest. And this comes from a mom who dropped her child. I dropped my son when he was just a couple of months old because I didn't want help. I wanted to be the mom who did it all. I wanted to take every feeding, every diaper change. And what ended up happening is we don't realize how tired we are. And then accidents happen. Fortunately, I think he's okay. He's seven and a little crazy now. <laughs> but I think he turned out fine. But at the time- That's just the most stressful thing for a parent you know, it to is. deal with. It's just it awful. It is. Yeah. And so we need to stop pushing families into these unsafe situations all in the name of exclusive breastfeeding and because it is the right thing and because it is the normal thing and because everybody else is going through it um, we really need to find a way to prioritize sleep and prioritize safe sleep. Right absolutely and um, sleep deprivation puts you into a state that's similar to intoxication from you know Mm -hmm. from alcohol and I would always think of it, you know, like I wouldn't hire a drunk babysitter. If someone showed up to my home and they were visually, you know, visibly intoxicated, I would say, okay, you know, (laughs) you're not going to watch my child. Um, But somehow we, you know, give ourselves, uh, you know, just no, no rest and kind of put ourselves into that state where then, yes, you're going to be more likely to, to do things and drop trip, you know, all sorts of things, drive in this horribly, you know, um, Mm -hmm. fatigued state. And it's just, it is, it is not safe. Um, So I am curious because you mentioned earlier, Thrive Parenting. Can you talk a little bit about that? What is that? Well, I think Thrive Parenting is really taking a holistic approach at the whole parenting experience um, and understanding that unlike what society tells us where everything is about the baby. I feel we get so much information about the baby, this, the baby, this, the baby, that, the baby, this, oh, and then the mother. Um, It's part of the reason why I think we need to revamp how we do our postpartum care. There is so much emphasis on taking care of babies. Um, If you think how many times moms go to postpartum, um, to pediatrician visits, right? But some moms don't get to see their obstetrician for six weeks. It's like you have a baby and they set you out. And then six weeks later, we'll check on you. And if right. we think the number of things that can go wrong, baby, we're going to check on frequently because they're going to see their pediatrician. But very rarely do we check in and tap in our mom and say, are you okay? How are you faring? How can we make this easier? How can we make this better for you? As well as fathers. Fathers get postpartum depression too, and postpartum anxiety. How do we check in and how do we make sure that the family unit is doing well above and beyond baby thriving and baby gaining weight and, you know, everything going great for baby, living their best life, but everybody else in that house is literally pulling their hair out. And what I think is sad is when, you know, two, three, four months later, you ask mom and you're like, so how's everything going? And they're like, I don't know. All I've been doing is feeding, pumping and crying but I realize that my baby is growing and they're doing great. I guess that's okay. And there's gotta be more to parenting. We've gotta want um, more for our parents. We've gotta want them to not only enjoy, to not only live through that newborn phase, but to thrive through it, to enjoy it, right? And we're just not setting people up for success in that sense. From the support that we give people in terms of insisting or educating people on the importance of doulas, and postpartum doulas, like what does that mean for you? I had a family that um, 
I was fortunate. I don't do as many doula deliveries as I used to, but every once in a while I do. And I got to spend an overnight with them so that they could sleep. And a lot of people, when you tell, um, when families share that, people frown upon it. Like, oh, you know, why would you do that? Why would you want somebody else to take care of your baby while you sleep? Why did you have a baby? I've had people ask questions like that. And again, we just don't normalize the idea of accepting, getting, and accepting help. Right. It is. And it is truly, it was truly amazing to me after birthing in a hospital that there clearly, there was no expectation that anybody would sleep during the night. I mean, there, you know, you're being poked and prodded every, I had a a cesarean section for my first and, you know, you're being poked and prodded every hour that, you know, you have the leg compression things on. It was like, you know, everybody's, they, they dim the lights at night and that's about it. The hospital, everything yeah. is like business as usual. And it was, <laughs> I just had surgery. I was in labor for 24 hours. Like this is bonkers. <laughs> like You had major abdominal expect- surgery. <laughs> yeah. Is there any expectation that anybody is going to get even an hour of sleep um, in that experience? And then you're handed a, a child that you have to, to feed and care for. It was pretty nuts. It was at least the next couple of times I went through it, I wasn't as surprised, but the hospital is not an environment that's designed for sleep. And so it is, it makes complete sense to me that you would want to have someone um, overnight um, just help you get through that first night. That's an incredible gift to- Oh my God, family. first night, first week, first couple of weeks um, to have somebody ask you, have you eaten? Can Not even so much as have you eaten. That's one of the questions I hate. Um, I've made you a plate. Right. It's Don't what give I them encourage that decision. People to <laughs> yeah. It's like, here's a plate. I made you a smoothie, like right. offering food as mm-hmm. opposed to asking. Right. Um, and a lot of times, especially in our society, you are not going to get that support unless you're paying for it. And even with doulas, that's why in Washington state, we're fighting so hard to allow insurance companies, Medicare and Medicaid to cover doula support. We know the outcomes are so much better when people have doulas and people have that additional support. Outcomes are better. People are ready, better ready um, to, to thrive within the new reality of welcoming a baby. Takes out so much of the anxieties when you have somebody who you can just pick up the phone and say, hey, is this normal? Is this okay? And that literally was the premise with which I started the perfect push. Because in our culture, we have, and I'm born, I was born and raised in Zimbabwe, we have a tradition called kugarira. And kugarira is when a woman is getting ready to have a baby, an older aunt or your mom, somebody comes and lives with you, right? You have the baby. In my case, it's always been my mom who now lives with me. And she would come a few, a month or two before I had the baby and she would get the house ready. She would help get me ready. She would talk to me about what was getting ready to happen. So much of it, I remember thinking, mom, that is just nonsense. I'm not going to do that because some of the traditional stuff was like outlandish. I was like, mom, that is so outdated. Um, But when baby came, she was there to feed me, take care of me, um, bathe me if she needed to, you know, bathe the baby, take the baby so that I could sleep. All that stuff was, I didn't have to ask for it. She already knew what needed to happen without ever uttering a word. And I don't think we value that enough as a society or the importance of having that help or giving that help to our new moms and our new families. And that is a part of helping people thrive is it's so much easier to sleep at night 
for you to put your head on that pillow and sleep as a new mom when you know the person who is watching over your baby knows what they're doing. And I don't care who you are, if you're a new mom, it's very seldom relaxing when you know that person is just your husband because you're like, oh my God, is my baby going to be okay? <laughs> and that's just the truth with new dads. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going to happen? the person who was not paying attention during <laughs> childbirth class. I know. Or who didn't make it. Or, <laughs> there you go. And so, you know, and I... I really do try and, you know, help our dads, our perfect push dads get ready and our perfect push partners to be ready to, you know, to accept baby and what that's going to look like, change diapers, care for baby. But as a mom, I remember with my husband, it was just hard. Second baby, I was so much better. But that first baby, I was like, oh my God, I'm leaving you with dad. I'm praying you right now. I'm sure everything is going to be okay. But well, it yes. really does make yeah. a difference. And they're dads. stressed too, you know. They're tired. And they're deprived too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So having someone from outside that little family unit to come in, that's just incredible. And and here it seems like our we're just our system feels so broken. I mean, compared to what you describe um, from Zimbabwe, I mean, just here it's so normal for for mothers and or couples to go home and they're just isolated, and that's yeah. it. They see their provider in six weeks. So yeah, thank you for describing um, maybe a, a way forward or a, a better a better way to do things or to think about this. Um, I, I did wanna ask, you mentioned prenatal activation and that I think that is so important now um, and especially um, with COVID and the pandemic, people, um, expectant moms, I know everyone wants, you know, wants to meet their child. We get um, uncomfortable toward the very end of pregnancy, your child, when they're inside, they're, they're protected, right? <laughs> and they're so much easier to take care of. Um, and you don't have that concern of that vulnerable new infant. So it is easier to have some of those meetings to get some of that lactation coaching um, and some of those things where you're not toting a brand new infant out into the world um, oh, yeah. during cold and flu and, and virus season, um, especially. But um, you can get some of those things done when you're still pregnant. I, I love that. So. When is when do you want to see people ideally during pregnancy? I will usually see people between um, anytime after twenty eight weeks, and usually before thirty five. Um, and the one silver lining from COVID is it's taught us how much. This is the one thing that I will do all day every day on Zoom. Um, we've got our um, electronic medical record that has telemedicine, telehealth through it, and so it is a secure portal. But I can do a complete prenatal lactation appointment without, you know, without the family ever leaving the house. We do our right. yeah, um, child uh, breastfeeding and newborn care class. We do that on Zoom right now, and that's thing that we've learned is that there's so many ways that we can use technology that doesn't exhaust, you know, expectant parents or doesn't expose expected, uh, pose a necessary risk to you and expectant parents. So we've been doing prenatal lactation consults. I think that's something that has picked up quite a bit because, and I have been stressing it. I feel like that's the one thing I'm like, did you get your prenatal lactation consult? Have you talked to anybody? Did we review your medical history? Did we see how that can impact your breastfeeding? I don't think people realize how much information we can get from looking at your medical history, doing a physical exam of the 
movement of your breasts, what they look like, what changes have happened that will predict, potentially predict what will happen when you when baby gets here and help us set a plan in place that will set you up to success. And that's basically all we're doing. And we know this is the one thing that obstetricians are not doing. They just don't do it. If you ask a woman, did your um, provider do a breast exam? Most women will say, yeah, yeah, like a cancer exam. But I'm like, no, do they do a breastfeeding breast exam? Do they sit down and take a look at your breast and talk to you about what the size, the shape, the change, the lack of change, what that could mean when it, um, in terms of your breast future? All moms say, resoundingly say no, whether they've been taken care of by an obstetrician or a midwife. And I feel that is a place where we are definitely dropping the ball and we could really set women up for success if we just spent a little bit more time referring people out for prenatal lactation consults and just stressing the importance of breastfeeding education before baby comes. Right, yes, absolutely, thank you. Um, so um, talking a little bit more about sleep and safe sleep, um, is there anything else that you wanted to mention with regard to safe sleep, um, particularly for breastfeeding parents? Yeah, I think it's, you wanna make sure that you've got, you're creating a safe environment, you know, to be, um, to be sleeping in. Easy access is gonna allow for everybody to get a bit more rest. It's also gonna allow her, um, for that good bond breastfeeding relationship. So we want to make sure that babies are breastfeeding on demand um, as much as possible. Keeping the baby co-sleeping is what's going to pass that as much as possible. Try and avoid bed sharing um, because we know many unsafe situations can result from that. It's the bedding that we have, you know, on the bed to usually two adults in the bed and then a baby in there and two very exhausted adults at that. Um, just miss them, but there's so many variables that they can come into place that can make bed sharing very, very unsafe. So I'm a big fan of coasting and making sure that families have either a bassinet or a coaster. Arms reach co-sleepers probably by and large my favorite one, but there's so many new co-sleepers out there that are not very expensive at all that allow, allow mom to have baby literally right next to them. And all she needs to do is push whole baby in and out of the co-sleeper without ever getting out of bed herself. Right. Yes. I think that there is sometimes a myth that parents, but sometimes when I work with new parents for sleep coaching, there's a belief that if you don't start the baby off in their bedroom, you will never be able to get them there. Um, or that your, your, your baby, you will sleep better if your baby is sleeping in their crib. Um, people, especially people who are light sleepers and think that they won't be able to sleep with their baby next to them. But just the act of getting up and walking down the hall to get your baby and breastfeeding in their room, it just, you wake up, you completely wake up. It's very difficult to get back to sleep then and to make the most of those brief, you know, hours of sleep that you get in between feedings, co-sleeping really does help to maximize that. It helps you to feel more rested in the morning because you didn't fully wake up. Um, the way you would have. I mean, there's great baby monitors. Um, a lot of people do want to have their infants sleeping in their own bedroom, um, but I tell people the same thing, that co-sleeping really does help to maximize sleep. And if you want your child sleeping in a crib in their own bedroom, you can always do that later. Um, it's an yeah, easy and, to make. Yeah, and the American Academy of Pediatrics is gonna recommend 
room sharing at least for the first six months, right? And this is gonna help us prevent, this is one of the big measures that we try and prevent since sudden infant death syndrome, um, is making sure that you have eyes and ears on that baby. And I do think one of the things that we always need to make sure parents are aware of is that that frequent, frequent waking up a baby is a protective mechanism supposed to do that so that they remember to keep breathing and so that reason to continuously wake up through the feed often, that that's act protective and I feel a lot of times parents don't realize that it's like oh my baby actually wakes up to eat and that protects them yes it does so it's a very built-in mechanism to protect your baby and so we do the frequent waking up we want baby to be breastfeeding um, or feeding frequently, right? Um, we just need to figure out a way that we can do it that allows everybody to get enough rest and to thrive. As building in and knowing, I think it is true that babies in the beginning are just not gonna sleep well. Their days and nights are flipped. Um, they tend to sleep during the day and then when everybody else is ready to go to bed, they're like, where is the party? And so, and making sure parents are ready for that and knowing that if you're not a daytime sleeper, how do we get those night shades? How do we create an environment that allows you to sleep during the day so that when baby's more alert and awake at night, you're not falling asleep and in your heart. So there's some things that we just can't circumvent. There's some things that we can't get around. But again, have plan and having people, having our new parents or expecting parents aware of what those changes are and coming up with a game plan will make the transition so much easier. Just when it's gonna be fine, but people are not really well prepared for what those changes are gonna look like. And people are able to make better decisions themselves, whether it's I have to exclusively breastfeed, because I have moms who are like, I want to exclusively breastfeed, nothing else but breast milk, I just breastfeed, that's all I wanna do, but I also wanna sleep eight hours. <laughs> and I was like, those two things don't go together. Yeah. So yeah. just be realistic about that. And it's okay. It is okay to say the only way that I'm going to function in a person and not get depressed and not get anxious and not pull my hair out is if I get at least six hours of sleep. Okay, so we may not be exclusively breastfeeding. Are you okay with that? So just being having real conversations, but creating environments where moms can say stuff like that. I feel a lot of times moms are terrified to really say what they want to say because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be mom shamed for wanting eight hours sleep. They don't want to be mom shamed for saying, well, I'm going to give my baby a little bit of formula. They don't think that I can um, keep up with this aggressive pumping schedule that I've been told is the only way that I'm going to be able to keep up my milk supply. So how are we setting up these situations and scenarios to really allow people to show up as their authentic selves? And then as providers, accept that. Accept it and say, okay, this is who you are. This is what you want. How do we get, how do we get that for you? And it's okay. Don't, you don't have to feel bad about it. But there definitely is a lot of mom shaming, especially with social media. It makes it really hard for people to show up as a true authentic self. Right, absolutely. And I I did some reporting um, recently on the Fed is Best campaign, and that mm -hmm. is um, just really relating to uh, c combining breast and bottle feeding and that it is okay that inclusive breastfeeding is not the way to go for everyone, um, that it is all right. Um, for your baby to have uh, a bottle or to introduce formula. And sometimes that's that's the way forward and that's the way to thrive as a family. I think oh, that yeah. there's starting to be some more acceptance around that. 
idea, um, at least, but it is, um, it's, it's slow going. <laughs> that it is. I have a saying, I remember hearing, um, breast is best, but fed is better. And I put a right. twist on that and I was like, this is best. I'll never argue with that. Saying is even better. I am all about sanity. Exactly. We are going to yes. be sane through this process. And sometimes that is a bottle. Sometimes it is a pacifier. And um, when people come and see me, they know I hate pacifiers. It is no secret I hate pacifiers. I will, they have families that I'm like, so you're going to give your baby a pacifier, right? I see comments. I have parents, I have my preferences, but as a provider, and if I'm going to be a good provider, I need to be able to support knowledge that other people's choices are gonna be different from mine. And they're gonna be from the textbook. They're gonna be different from what my IDCLC certification taught me. And that we've gotta be able to be flexible um, and accommodating. And that's the only way that we get people and meet people where they are. Yes, absolutely. I wish all lactation, I, I just, I love that approach. It's so important. Um, I think so many women do feel judged by their providers and feel um, like they can't reveal truly what they're doing or what they're struggling with, even to their providers. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's really, a, that's not a great place to start, um, to start out parenthood. So yeah, no, I, I it love isn't. that approach. No, it isn't. I've had so many women who come into the clinic and I swear, and I always say, it's like, you want me to give you permission to stop breastfeeding. And moms just burst out crying and they're like, yes. I just wanted someone to tell me it's okay to stop. And I have those days, I have those consults where I say, it's okay to stop. You don't have to do this. They're like, but everybody's telling me I have to do this. I was like, no, you don't. So let's what we're gonna do instead. We're gonna stop talking about breastfeeding. She's like, every time I mention this, it was like, let's try again, let's try again. And they're like, I don't wanna try again. I don't wanna do this anymore, but I am doing it because I'm being told this is what I need to do. And nobody's telling me what else I can do. So if I don't wanna do this anymore, it's like no one is hearing. I'm like, oh, I hear you and it's okay. And it's not easy. And I think a lot of you think that decision either to breastfeeding for whatever reason, or even when women cannot breastfeed, or when women choose not to breastfeed, there's still that emotional reaction that happens within a woman. It's not easy. It's never an easy decision, right? And we need to acknowledge it. But sometimes it truly is the best decision for that mom. It truly is the best decision for that family. So what does it look like to protect that? And also help mom transition through knowing that as she comes to terms with the decision that she made, she's gonna doubt. You're gonna go back and forth and say, did I really make the right decision, right? So how do we best support without judging them, without shaming them, and always hearing them? What are they saying? What's coming out versus what are they really saying? Get the body language, looking at them, reacts when baby is breastfeeding, all those things. Come context. You have to put them into context when it comes to lactation consults. What is mom really telling you? And so we do, I feel like sometimes I'm just a therapist. Right, I'm sure you are. <laughs> There yeah. like, okay <laughs> what is going on this is doing double duty talk. yeah everyone's busy <laughs> just get get your therapy session in with your lactation consultant it makes a lot of sense <laughs> uh, well is there anything else that you wanted to mention about um, how new parents can really build their support network get the support that they need so they can get the sleep they need during these um, difficult times you know i think the biggest takeaway i would want for new parents is you know, it's okay to not be okay. 
it's okay to know ahead of time that you're not going to be okay. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to put in all the safeguards and you know, bring in all the reinforcements to get the help that you need. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in having someone else come into your home to take care of your baby, to allow you to sleep. Because that is in a way how you are taking care of your child. By acknowledging that the only way that you're gonna do this successfully is by getting a little bit of sleep. And it's not just about how you're doing physically, it's about how you're doing mentally and emotionally. That is a big part and plays a big part in whether or not you're even gonna be successful with breastfeeding. Because to get you that rest, we need to get that you, that emotional um, rejuvenation and restoration. Uh, Especially, like, I can't imagine having had a C-section. I had all my babies vaginally. But even that was a challenge. Really, really was a challenge to recover from that. So we seldom for having surgery and then to care for someone else and not have someone care for them. Most people have surgery and have people waiting on them and taking care of them, right, to help them recover. So yes, we need to take care of the baby, but we also need to help you recover. And there's absolutely no shame in requesting help and planning for help. Um, planning and preparation is the key to success. The more you can plan, the more you can learn about your body and how to um, be support breastfeeding. And the more you're realistic about what you, what you can do and what you can take as a person when it comes to your sleep routine, um, the more likely that you're going to be successful because then you know what you need to do and what you need to get in place. But preparation, 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 and prenatal lactation consults um, is the right. key to success. Thank you so much. <laughs> so where can people learn more about you or get in touch? Um, so you can get in touch with us. Our website is theperfectpush.com. We are on Facebook and Instagram at, at the Perfect Push. You can follow me at Rue the Boot Boss on Instagram and on Facebook. And I love, we're building just an amazing online um, social media um, tribe. I call it the Boot Boss Tribe, where I just spend a lot of time talking about, you know, just Thrive Parenting and how we get there. Um, and I, I feel like that is my calling and my mission is how do I get more parents to just thrive through this and smile through it, whether it's your fertility journey, it's your breastfeeding journey, or just raising these little rascals. Um, I think it's important that we all just start enjoying it a lot more. Right. Agreed. And that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really think that this will help a lot of people. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for the election day distraction. <laughs> yes, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this episode was helpful to you or might be helpful to someone that you love. And if so, please share it. You can find Rue and her work at theperfectpush.com and you can follow her on Instagram at Rue, that's R-U-E underscore the boob boss. You can find me on social media at by Malia Jacobson and follow the podcast at sleep well, stay well. Thanks again for being a listener. I really, really appreciate it. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate and review, follow and share it with your friends. It would mean a lot to me. I will be back 
next week with another episode. Until then, please sleep well and stay well. Take care. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. Now you know. Thanks for checking out the show.